You're listening to ReachMD XM157, and this month's special series, Focus on Children's Health. Chemical McCarthyism is what Dr. George Lundberg, past editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American Medical Association, called it. To what was he referring? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Bertha Madras. Dr. Madras is the Deputy Director of Demand Reduction in the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. Prior to joining ONDCP, Dr. Madras was Professor of Psychobiology at Harvard Medical School and chaired the Division of Neurochemistry at the New England Primate Research Laboratory. Today we're discussing random drug testing in schools. Welcome, Dr. Madras. Chemical McCarthyism is what Dr. Lundberg called random drug testing. I mean, those are strong words. I must say that I've heard, you know, a lot of interesting comments about it. This is a new one. (laughs) Well, he said it was 30 years ago in a letter to the editor of the New England Journal. So he said it before the Supreme Court decisions, and that makes all the difference in the world. Okay, and tell us about that decision. There were two decisions, 1995 and 2002, both of which said that, above all, this is a schools and school-based testing is the right of a school because they are a special environment where they have to protect the health, well-being, and the atmosphere within the school domain. Does it trouble you a little bit that they said this on one hand and they strike down gun control? So it's like you can't bring your drugs to school, but it's okay to take a gun? I mean, isn't there something wrong with that? What happened is that there were other clauses in the Supreme Court decision that I think will help alleviate some of your concern. And these are so critical. This is a public health approach. First of all, the results are not punitive. You cannot send the results to law enforcement. You cannot expel or suspend a student if they test positive. Their academic life has to be preserved. Indeed, it has to be treasured. That's number one. And that's so important. The results have to be kept confidential. They can't be part of the academic folder so that nobody can, no random teacher can go fishing in and find a test positive. They have to be strictly confidential on a need-to-know basis. The person who runs the program, the student, their parents. That's it. You cannot send the results to future employers, to future colleges, other schools. The records have to be destroyed when the student leaves the school. So what's the whole point of this? The real point is that it gives young people a very good reason to resist peer pressure to use drugs. That is its primary purpose. It's a deterrent. The secondary purpose is if they happen to test positive, the major consequence is that the parents are notified and they are referred to drug counseling. The purpose of the drug counseling is to find out where on the spectrum they lie. Is this casual use? Is this person addicted? Do they need a referral to an addiction treatment specialist? That is a public health approach to the issue. Now, you may ask, why in school? Why not at home? Why not in a pediatrician's office? They're good questions. They're very valid. A child's life at school is is very severely impacted by drug use. They get lower grades at school. They show up for school less. They have higher dropout rates. They're more likely to join gangs, engage in delinquency and violence, and literally 
begin to destroy their track record and it could derail their future. So that helping a student within a school environment, and there are studies that indicate that a lot of kids get drugs on the way to school, on the way home from school, and sometimes in school. It's a way to help them. It's a way to give them, again, a reason to say no and also to give them help if they need it. You're a grandparent from your bio that's available. If your grandchild came home and said, Grandma, they want to test me for drugs in school, how would you explain to that child that it's not an invasion of their privacy, that it's not potentially harmful? Well, I would say the first and most important thing is if you're not using drugs, who cares? Who cares? It's like being screened in an airport. It's just to preserve health and safety, and it's not a big problem. If you are using drugs, my beloved grandchild, then you and I are going to sit down and have a very important discussion on why you shouldn't use drugs and why this testing may, in fact, be tremendously beneficial to you. The American Academy of Pediatrics seems quite opposed to random drug testing in school and have made some strong statements. Why is the federal government and the American Academy of Pediatrics so diametrically opposed on this issue? There's something very interesting in that policy. The opposition is based on a premise that this should all be handled in a pediatrician's office without the parents being involved anonymously. John Knight, in his own words, has published a paper, co-authored a paper, on the fact that the vast majority of pediatricians are not trained in this area at all. Not trained, don't know what to do. And when he studied with Celeste Wilson, in Children's Hospital, patient records of over 500 adolescents, and then there were over 80 that had a DSM-4 diagnosis of abuse addiction. Of those, the residents as well as staff at the hospital detected 12 out of the over 80. Their positive rate of diagnostic capability was less than 15%. And so... Assuming that that's the only alternative we have, it's not a very good alternative at the present state. Now, if pediatricians got heavily engaged and this became part of their training in medical school and this was part of their routine practice, then this would be a very good place to insert an intensive uh, program to protect, as I say, the brain, the body, and the behavior of young people during a vulnerable period in their lives. But in the absence of having this level of professionalism engaged, then having another alternative in prevention is very, very advantageous to young people. You may not know the statistic, but if kids begin using drugs before the age of 14, they are six times more likely to become addicted than people who initiate drug use after the age of 18. That's our most recent National Survey on Drug Use and Health Study. It's very frightening. And that's why any prevention that has a glimmer of positive outcomes, a glimmer of assistance for young people is essential, I think, in our society. Another issue that I've heard is that some people speculate that the testing, because it only tests for a limited number of substances, may sort of divert children into using more risky drugs, such as the inhalants, 
ecstasy. What's your response to that criticism? There is not a shred of evidence to support that. It's speculation. What we have seen in the Monitoring the Future study, which monitors 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, is that drug use has declined 24% since the year 2001. And fascinating, it's declined across the board. It's not just that marijuana has gone down or methamphetamine or ecstasy or LSD or anabolic steroids, but smoking and alcohol have gone down in tandem. So that to say that kids are going to move from one to the other, there simply is no evidence for it. We have seen definitely a disconcerting movement towards using prescription drugs non-medically or abusing them. But we don't know if this profile of kids who are using prescription drugs is identical to the ones who are engaged in illicit drugs. And there are overlapping areas, obviously, but some are not. Some may be using the prescription drugs in ways in which the surveys have not really yet parsed out. For example, are you using a prescription drug to get high or are you using it in order to get rid of pain but you're borrowing someone else's prescription drug? And parsing out those details is still not part of our surveys at the exquisite level that I would like to see it. What's the best method of testing? What does the current programs entail? Is urine testing, hair? Well, there's urine, saliva, and hair, and each one of them has different advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the com- most common one that's used is urine because that's been definitively approved by the federal government. But some people use hair because it gives you a, a lengthy history of drug use. Some people use saliva because it gives you an immediate sense of what's on board in the individual. And others use urine because it, it contains the metabolites of use, which may have occurred three or so days ago. I googled passing a drug test, and I got 326,000 hits in 0.12 seconds. And going to one of the sites, affordable urine samples. Beating a test, we've heard of this all along. And, you know, temperature is one thing. It's, it's very hard to walk down the corridor with a student and have them able to warm up a sample right away. <laughs> and pH is another. There are a number of parameters that they may not be quite savvy to. And even if they are... The only person they're defeating is themselves because this is a public health approach and response to them. It's not designed to catch them and and get them engaged in any legal proceedings. So they should be welcoming the fact that somebody is out there interested in helping them. The protections are truly intact. I guess that's probably the biggest issue everybody is truly concerned about. But there have been no criminal repercussions? Not to the best of my knowledge. I haven't seen evidence. Certainly the federal program, which gives grants through the Department of Education, mandates, mandates that you have to follow the Supreme Court guidelines to the letter and a person risks losing their grant if they don't follow it. So now, there are schools, if, you know, and the, the Supreme Court also said that, that it is permissible for kids who are engaged in extracurricular competitive activities to be in these programs. It would not be universal screening. So some schools have a policy that if you test positive, you don't practice with the team or you don't play football in a game for a week or two. But that's a local decision. All of these are local decisions. But the Supreme Court also ruled that if parents and their children co-sign into the program, 
they can be part of it. And in some sectors of the country, we see parents and children co-signing in. I'd like to thank Dr. Bertha Madras, who's been my guest, and we've been discussing random drug testing in schools at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I invite you to listen to our on-demand library by visiting us at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code radio and receive six months of free streaming audio. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. Listen all month as ReachMD-XM-157 presents a special series focused on children's health. To download podcasts of this series, visit us at ReachMD.com. This ReachMD program is featured on CIRMO, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit www.sermo.com. That's S-E-R-M-O dot com. When you join, enter ReachMD in the promotion box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card.